I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And I'm Noelle LaCroix. And this is Orgasm, the podcast from Chipperish Media where we reach for explosive inspiration. Each episode is a deep dive into a topic that sparks our creative energy, and we'll talk about that topic through our ideas framework. Ideas is an acronym for identification, discovery, exploration, analysis, and synthesis. This orgasm is an exploration of movement, and we're stretching our format to include a special guest. Today's orgasm is a three-way. We're joined by Autumn Meyer. Autumn is a yoga teacher and group fitness instructor who advocates for holistic health and pleasurable movement for all bodies. Her blog, A Whole Story, and Instagram account of the same name read like love letters to growth and self-discovery. And she just launched A Whole Story podcast. Welcome, Autumn. Hey, Autumn. Hi. That's the sweetest intro ever. We were just talking about how people always write nicer bios for you than you could ever write for yourself. And I'm just going to file that one in my pocket for the rest of my life. (laughs) Well, you can have it. It's all true. It's all very true. You're the best. Yeah. Well, we wanted to bring you on to talk about movement because I know that's something that you're really passionate about. And I am sure that you're going to have all kinds of wonderful insight for us in this conversation. I'm so excited. I could talk movement for hours and hours on end. Well, it's fantastic to have you here. And I am a new listener to your whole story podcast. I love it. And I think that our orgasm listeners will enjoy it too. So we really appreciate you being here with us today. Well, thank you so much. I'm so psyched about it. So we chose movement for today's discussion because it was on Noelle's list of original orgasm topics. And because it's an area where I try and fail to reach orgasm over and over again, so close, damn it. (laughs) So (laughs) I would love to reframe my relationship with and feeling towards movement. So I am thrilled that Autumn is here to share her wisdom and perspective. Yeah. So shall I just start us off with identification? We can dive right in. Absolutely. Okay. So I chose movement as opposed to exercise, which I never much cared for. Yeah. I mean, I was not an athletic kid, but I loved ballet, uh, except I felt like ballet didn't really love me back. (laughs) So it's been kind of a long process for me figuring out what movement really means to me and how it fits into my life now. My first yoga class I took when I was 16 and I cycled to work in high school. Um, I actually graduated in January and then didn't start college until the fall. So I had that six month period to work full time and I would ride my bike to work. And Partly that was just, I didn't have a car. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't actually learn to drive until I was 21, 22. (laughs) Yeah, but I rode my bike and I really enjoyed that. Just working that movement sort of into my day kind of naturally. And I mean, as as I mentioned in episode four, where we talked about books, chronic back pain from the time my oldest was a baby meant that I couldn't do a lot movement-wise. Movement for a long time was really scary and painful. So the fall after I healed that back pain is when I started taking ballet classes again, Mm -hmm. actually. It was about a 20-year hiatus from ballet for me. And that was also 
right around the time that I rediscovered my love of strength training and aerobics. And more recently, I've brought yoga and hiking into kind of my understanding of movement and how that works with my body. But that's, I mean, that's really where I am in terms of defining this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mine is um, messier. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure I have dyspraxia or some form of developmental coordination disorder. I've never been tested or officially diagnosed, but I have struggled with the symptoms my whole life. Clumsiness, like to the nth degree, the inability to tell my right from my left, getting lost and losing things, weaker muscle tone than my peers when I was a kid, no spatial awareness, a total lack of coordination that is frustrating as hell. And it's such a joke in my family or just like with people who know me well about what a klutz I am that I I don't know any other way of moving. And so everything is kind of fraught. And my mother thinks it's because I never crawled. So as a baby, I just went from (laughs) sitting to standing and walking. I have heard that before. Yeah. So in the 70s and 80s, many experts believe that that either caused or was a sign of learning disabilities in children. And Mm -hmm. that has since been disproven. Mm -hmm. But I worried enough about it that when my son was a baby, I made sure he crawled. (laughs) (laughs) Because I didn't want him to end up with my spatial awareness issues. And it's funny because he's actually the exact opposite. He is incredibly mechanical and spatial. And I and and his hand-eye coordination is amazing. So he didn't get any of that from me. But I loved dancing when I was little. I took all the dancing classes when I was a kid. So ballet and tap, jazz, modern gymnastics and rhythmics. And I was terrible at gymnastics, but I loved all the rest of it. And I think maybe because dancing is so tied to music that like memorizing the routines was easy. But learning the actual movement, like how to move my body the way it was supposed to move, was incredibly hard. And my teacher, when I was like eight or nine, I had a wonderful teacher who had immigrated to America from Russia. And she was the kind of coach that would really work with you, but also slap you with a ruler if you did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And so she would teach me like muscle by muscle, like act like you're trying to squeeze a pencil between those two muscles. And then I could do it, but she had to break it down. And I frustrated her a lot. But then that clumsiness was also there. Like I was trying to practice one of the routines in the living room when I was little. And there was like a big spin, you know, you kind of spun around several times. And I spun and spun and I was having so much fun spinning. I tripped and fell and hit my face on the corner of the piano and gave myself a huge knot on the head and two black eyes. (laughs) So, and that was normal. Like that kind of, that kind of clumsiness was just normal. Um, And in middle school, I was like the most uncoordinated cheerleader of all time. And it took me weeks to learn how to clap my hands and stomp my feet at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just hilarious to me that and like I thought that was normal like I thought it was that hard for everybody and it took me until I grew up to realize no this is easy for most people and I have fallen and I mean fallen down staircases tripped and fallen over my own feet I tend to fall on flat concrete surfaces more than anything because that's just how I roll and oh. like <laughs> when I was oh I guess 18 or 19 I was going on a very romantic date with a guy that I very much loved and I had dressed up and had this long flowing dress and these big stack sandals and was just dolled up to the nines and 
he pulled up in the driveway and I came walking out to him and it was one of those like movie moments you know where our like eyes are connected and he's smiling at me and I'm smiling at him and sashaying my hips a little bit and walking tripped over my own two feet fell flat on my face oh god (laughs) because that is just how it goes you know that's more movie moment than anything (laughs) right I know it's but it's so awful and it's going to happen like it is going to happen and I think the only movement that has ever felt truly easy and fun is swimming so I learned how to swim as an infant and have loved it ever since so in addition to like all the clumsiness now I have this wonderful complication of a completely shattered right arm that is held together with metal and so I can't straighten my arm out I can't turn my wrist over all the way it looks not fantastic it's kind of awful And I had to do a lot of physical therapy and my physical therapist called me a motor moron because she's like, oh, "Oh." well, and apparently it's, it's like a real term in physical therapy. She didn't mean anything bad by it. She was just explaining to me some people have such issues with clumsiness and like a, there's like a disconnection between your brain and your body. And she's like, that's just, that's just you. She would tell me to, to move a certain way and I would just stare at her. Like, I don't understand what you're telling me to do. Um, it took me forever to learn how to do the PT exercises. So I don't know. I'm a mess. <laughs> Autumn, fix me, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just hearing all of it and thinking it sounds like you're a different kind of learner than how people are talking to you. Yeah. You know, that's being told to move a certain way and it not making sense is super common. That's everybody has that experience. And it's on the teacher or the physical trainer or the doctor, whoever, to, to come at it in another direction and say it differently until it does make sense. So even if motor moron is maybe a commonly accepted term, it's cruel. and it makes no sense for how brains work because they don't all work one way. Oh, you are speaking so, my love language now, honey. And it puts, you know, if you already have concerns about your own proprioception and ability to move your body through space and then anybody with authority confirms it. You're done. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And it's just wrong. It's so wrong. <laughs> so I could, when I start crying on here, just know that it's normal for me. My empathy level gets a little high. Aww. On my identification answer here, um, I have some similarities to both of you. Oddly enough, um, I grew up moving a lot. My, my parents signed me up for soccer and basketball and ballet and I played I played everything but I what I lacked in skill and speed which was most all of it I made up for in aggression so I would just attack the ball <laughs> I love it <laughs> because I had no skill set I wasn't good at moving my body but I really enjoyed the playing part of it I enjoyed the team part and so I've never really been able to figure out when I look at my history with movement how much of it was a love of movement and how much of it was a love of the social interaction combined with movement. I enjoyed my soccer team more than I enjoyed soccer. I enjoyed my basketball play, you know, my players on the team more than I enjoyed playing the game. I fouled out of every game I played. Because um, <laughs> I just grabbed the ball. <laughs> no. You are highly motivated and highly focused. I just wanted to be out there with them. And then ballet, I did ballet from the time I was probably three or four until I was about 12. 
when just like you said, Noel, I felt like ballet didn't love me back. And I just was done because I couldn't stand wearing tights anymore. Yep. And I didn't feel like I would ever be built like a ballerina. And so there was no real point in continuing this much effort. Mm -hmm. Um, And also at about 12, the costume stopped being really fun for the Mm -hmm. uh, recitals. And I was highly motivated, again, by social and costume-driven reasons for the sports. So I never really thought about movement as anything other than um, a way to hang out with my friends outside of school. And so... And that kind of continued for me all through college, all through, oh, probably forever. It's only been um, since I kind of fell in love with yoga that I realized I could enjoy movement by myself Mm -hmm. um, and that it could mean something because otherwise movement fell into two categories, one social and two weight loss. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Yeah. And without it falling into one of those two categories, I didn't understand the point of it. And then I also, I have, I'm a very clumsy person too, Kelly, and my body movements take a lot of effort for me to coordinate. Mm -hmm. In fact, I had a massive win this morning. My daughter taught me how to floss. (laughs) (laughs) I've been watching forever and I'm like, it makes no sense. How do people do this? And she's, she's eight and she like laid it down for me and I flossed this morning to Glee Christmas music. Oh, that's fantastic. Happy October. (laughs) But I, so my ability to know where my body is in space is really rough. And I have a struggle with proprioception, especially as it concerns my hips. So where my hips are in space Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense to me. And I can't get a visual on it. So when I'm teaching yoga, you'll notice I have to have my hands on my hips, or I have to be looking at where other people's hips are when they move in different poses. Because I can't imagine where my own are. I don't have a, a handle on it. Huh. And it's something that I, I'm growing that understanding of the more that I think about it and the more that I try to make a physical connection with it. But that lack of proprioception is really heavy and really deep. And I think it impacts my desire to learn more about movement up until recently. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I wonder if that's why I stand with my hands on my hips. I've, I've actually been told as a teacher huh. that I have to stop. That was some early feedback I got early on because it makes it look like I'm trying to be more dominating than I actually am. But that's my natural pose is to stand with my hands on my hips. Well, it's also a great pose hormonally. It does really good things for you. It releases different hormones. It's why there's, you know, a whole TED talk on power posing. Yeah, that Wonder Woman pose, right? Yeah, the Wonder Woman pose does good things for you. So I don't know. I say stick with it. If you look dominant, that's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, I don't know you that well, but I love you. So this is <laughs> Oh, I love you back. <laughs> everybody loves everybody. It's so wonderful. It is so wonderful. No, that's it's interesting to me that you mentioned hands on hips because my ballet teacher currently will have us often have us do a combination the first time with our hands on our hips. Oh. Before he adds the porta bra, because And I think I should ask him about it, but I think it's so that that we can focus just on the lower body Mm -hmm. and not worry about what our arms are doing. Mm. But I noticed that if I've got my hand on my hip, which I'm doing now, you can't see me. Um, (laughs) If I've got my hand on my hip, then it reminds me to keep that hip in position as I'm Mm -hmm. moving my leg. So it's it is kind of grounding and kind of gets you. What am I trying to say? 
it gets you in your body. Yeah. Yeah. It's a means of finding it. Cause I feel like, yeah, for me, my hips, oh man, I mean, they carry a whole lot of emotional weight right there. Mm-hmm. But also if I can move through that shame piece of my hips and just hold on tight, that's grounding. That's finding that connection to all the rest. So if that piece stays neutral, that piece stays stable, the rest of my body can move. Oh, yeah. I think the part I have the hardest time seeing in space is are my feet, which is why I trip so mm-hmm. much. It's always been that way. So, yeah, I'll have to learn more about that. That is really interesting. Well, your feet are all the way down there. I mean, I mean right? <laughs> and then there's these boobs that are in the way. Yeah. Everything's in the way. We shove them into shoes, and then we're so confused why they feel weird. <laughs> I mean, put these curvy, curvy little mounds into square boxes and wonder why they hurt. Yeah, so that's a good point. It it makes sense. All right, Noel, are you going to be in charge of our transitions? Am I going to be in charge of our transitions? I think you should be oh in charge God. of our transitions. Okay. All right. So I'm going to move us into discovery, and. Maybe this is related to my coming to movement through exercise and fitness, which I'm just going to put in the biggest air quotes ever, because when I started thinking about fitness, it was much more about performing health or hustling for my worthiness in the grip of diet culture, um, because I really discovered fitness as a soon-to-be-married <laughs> young person mm-hmm. and bought really hard into the whole, like, you must make yourself as small as possible for your oh. wedding day. Mm. Yeah. And so I'm really, like, I'm really, really careful when I talk about what I'm naturally drawn to about movement. It's the results. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to be really careful with that word because there's the performative or the visual element of movement. And that's really important to me. Hence the the dance piece, right? And embodying the music. That's something that I have come to really appreciate more as an adult dancer, where there's a lot less pressure on you to be perfect in this way that's going to feed you into a career in dance. Well, the truth is there are very few people who get to make a career in dance, but dance is wonderful regardless. And when you're not thinking in terms of, okay, I'm going to do these classes and get these results, and I'm going to be this kind of a dancer, I'm going to be this kind of a professional person, all this space opens up to really think about what you're doing with dance, which in the case of ballet is often embodying the music. Mm -hmm. So I'm drawn to results in that way. You know, what is it what does it look like how am i expressing myself through movement? But i'm also increasingly drawn to the results of increased range of motion mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. new strength and stamina. And those are really different. That feels like a really different place for me as compared to, you know, where i was oh, i don't know, 15 years ago of trying to shape my body into a certain thing and that was going to be the result Mm -hmm. of the movement am I making any sense with this absolutely yeah a hundred percent being able to do something you weren't able to do before is addictive for sure especially when you can remember when something was difficult yeah Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I feel like, you know, compound it times 10 when you're talking about something in your body, because it's so easy to define it. You know, I Mm -hmm. think about um, there's a movement in yoga called chaturanga. So it's kind of like you're lowering really slowly down halfway through a push-up. And I remember practicing it and just falling down on my boobs over and over and over (laughs) and over again and being like, this is physically impossible. This is not a thing that I can never do. This is actually not a thing anyone can do. And it's <laughs> movies that I'm watching. The sun. Like I just could not. And then I would watch my husband do it effortlessly, like just glide down and up. And it was beautiful. And his muscles didn't shake or move. And I just was bruising myself falling on the ground. And now it's something that comes pretty easily to me. And it's, I, I think about it every single time, how different my body feels moving that way. And the irony that what I used to see as results carries zero weight here because I'm larger than I've ever been. My body moves differently than it's ever moved. It's not because my boobs are smaller. It's not because my muscles are bigger. It's a movement I've cultivated. Oh. And it's like magic to get to do That's it. That's fantastic. It's weird. Lo- no, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. It is. And when I think about that, I think about like intellectual capacity or skills for things that Mm -hmm. I didn't have before I started graduate school and how they became easy. And I got, I have no, no relevant push-up story to match, but I know the (laughs) feeling. I don't know that I know it in a physical context, but I would like to learn. And like for my discovery, when I thought about what I wanted to learn about this topic, part of it is how to, like, I'd like to learn how to do yoga and Tai Chi. I don't really know where to start. And Taking a ballet class sounds wonderful conceptually, but impossible physically. But what I'd really like to learn is how to generate or associate positive feelings, both physical and emotional, with movement. Because I think it's become Mm. such a big mental block that it's learning how to reassociate, you know, and how to bring pleasure to something that used to be painful. So that's, I think that's the kind of discovery that I most want to do. Yeah, that's so much. And it's if your brain has those pathways so wired, then creating brand new ones is so much yeah, work. It is. It's hard. It's easier with academics. <laughs> well, maybe for you. I mean, I feel because I feel like the idea of trying to build new intellectual pathways, at least at this point, that sounds just incredibly daunting. But the idea of like working on a physical skill or a physical movement like I feel like I know how to do that Mm -hmm. whereas with the intellectual piece I'm I'm like lost (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you do any of the stuff you do is what I'm saying (laughs) you you know answers to things the rest of us just assume have no answers (laughs) right (laughs) so Adam what did you have for discovery for movement So when I was thinking about how do I explore movement and how do I engage it, I wanted to think not about my teaching or yoga or my job. Um, I wanted to think about the ways that I kind of explore movement every day, because I think that if you're somebody who's working on cultivating a movement practice, thinking about where you can just become more aware of movement in your day-to-day life, as opposed to like, I'm going to do couch to 5K. I'm going to do 30 days of yoga. These like challenge ideas. Mm -hmm. Instead thinking, I'm going to think about moving my body when I'm moving my body. 
and that you already have a movement practice because you move your body. And so I have a movement practice, even on the days I don't exercise, even on the days I don't teach yoga, even on the days I don't take a class and kind of those ideas of the idea of pleasurable movement. I want to work that into all the time. And discovery for me has looked like, how do I think about pleasurable movement? And there's a couple of, um, there's a phrase that I think works for me and it's stacking your bones. And Mm. it's such a weird one. And it works for me in every moment when I feel out of touch with my body. I'll think you just need to stack your bones, head over shoulders, shoulders over pelvis, pelvis over feet. And it just changes my alignment so that I suddenly am in my body in a new way. And that discovering that, that I have access to being in my body all the time without being sweaty, without being on a, doing a workout video, without any of that, but that movement can look like aligning my body has been the best discovery and the best um, kind of exploration of movement that I've found recently is avoiding any sort of diet culture surrounding movement and just focusing in on the fact that I'm already a mover because I am a body. I love that so, so much. I have never heard stacking your bones before, but when you describe mm-hmm. what that meant, I found myself sitting up straighter. Right, exactly. And it's kind of like there's a meme that is all over Instagram right now that just says, if you're reading this, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath, soften your cheeks. And every time I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a very dear friend on this very podcast who says, unclench your jaw on a regular basis. <laughs> because we're always doing it yeah yeah (laughs) and so for me those kinds of little cues those are movement and those are being in your body and for me they're pleasurable movement that unclenching your jaw relaxing stacking my body realizing that even when I don't feel like I have core strength my core is freaking holding me up all day long that's amazing recognizing that is freedom it's, it's embracing movement. It's knowing that there's already movement in my body, even when I don't feel like I'm moving. Even when I feel kind of like a sloth, I can stack my bones and I'm stacking so my body. So do you have a particular definition of pleasurable movement? I wish I did. <laughs> um, no, I think off the top of my head, I would say pleasurable movement is movement that makes me like myself. I love that. As opposed to movement I do for any other reason. Movement that's performative, movement that is um, punitive, movement that is for anyone else or for diet culture or for weight loss or for winning or meeting any specific Mm -hmm. goal. I think it's a Venn diagram. You know, it can check some of those boxes and also make me feel good Mm -hmm. about myself, but it's Mm -hmm. movement that, that I like myself when I'm doing. I love that definition. That is fantastic. And it's, so serendipitous that you mentioned um, being aware of movement when you're not exercising or, you know, doing a routine or participating in a class. Because when I started thinking about exploration for this topic, um, I realized that I haven't been moving as much lately as I would like, but I did I do have a couple of regular classes that I attend, and I decided to really pay attention to how I was moving um, in those Mm -hmm. classes and how I felt before and after and that sort of thing. And 
it was it was fascinating because paying attention with ballet and yoga is really beneficial to both. And when I say paying attention, I mean exactly what you were talking about, Adam, about like putting my mind in the muscles or the bones that were involved in what I was doing. So stretching through the backs of my knees in ballet or thinking about moving from my belly button in yoga, which is just for some reason, just like the hardest thing for me to remember to do. But when Mm -hmm. I do it, it feels so different and how I move feels so different and I feel more connected overall really changes the sensation and it brings it into something that I'm doing with my entire body and I think that's really fascinating yeah I mean you're adding support instead of flinging yourself into something you're doing it with support and I think about that in movement but also in relationship and in decision making and in all of it it's one thing to just do something because someone's telling you to do it you know head into down dog, lift your hips. But it's completely different if you're doing it and you're thinking, pull the ribs together, support your body through your toes, take a deep breath while you think about your belly button drawing back. Suddenly your whole body is moving because it's supported by the whole rest of your body by all of these pieces and components that are already strong. They're already there. So even if your hamstrings are like, they hate this, (laughs) the rest of your body is there for them and ready to help you out. And I think when you move with support, you move differently. And you can't move with support without thinking. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And it's interesting to me, too, how much it makes me feel like a whole body instead of just, Mm -hmm. instead of just my hips moving up in down dog. It's like, okay, everything is all connected and everything is doing the work. Actually, in the first yoga class that I took in God, it was probably years since I had taken a class. The very first time I took a class with other people and instructors, Mm -hmm. you know, in the room, not on a video, I uh, got the correction or not the, I don't know if it's called a correction in in yoga, but I got the, I was encouraged by an instructor to bring, what did she say? How did she put it? Bring your ribs inside your body. And I was like, what? (laughs) And it just blew my mind because once I, because I was sort of like bulging through my, my torso. And once I thought about those ribs, like wrapping in and creating that structure for my torso and doing exactly what, you know, they're designed to do, protect all of those internal organs. I was like, Oh, that feels totally different. And I have this like whole torso that's connected to the rest of me. And it was just kind of, it was a wild experience. But I I think about that kind of thing all the time about bringing, bringing yourself inside yourself as you're moving. Yeah, I can just get as like woo woo as possible. No, I love it. Yeah, I mean, the best advice I received in a yoga class was don't think about your body part or how this posture should look. Think about how it feels in your whole body. And so suddenly I thought about my toes and I thought about the back of my neck instead of just the twist or whatever the movement was. And it changes it so considerably when it's your whole body. I just love this idea of support and connection. Like that lit my whole brain Mm -hmm. up. I'm going to really have to think about that in terms of body. But it's so true for every other aspect of life that it makes sense that it would be true for movement too. I've just never framed it like that. Well, I don't think culturally you're ever encouraged to. 
No. But if someone told me to put my ribs inside my body, I would be like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need you to break that down. (laughs) What? Define your terms, please. (laughs) Yes. I mean, huh? Yeah. But like a while back, I was going through a really hard time and I was struggling with crying. Like I I went through, I'm not a crier. Like it's, I hate it. I don't do it much, but I went through a short period of time where I was crying nonstop. And then when I stopped crying, I couldn't start again for any, like I couldn't cry at all. And so Noelle was trying to teach me the left hand over the heart breathing. And -hmm. she would be explaining like, put your left hand over your heart. And after a while you will just cry. It took me forever to figure out how to get my left hand over my heart. But I mean, you told me you were like, turn your wrist up, put your fingers towards your face, and lay it flat. And then I was able to like make that movement and do it Mm -hmm. in a way that made sense. Um, And it did work. Like, it still fascinates me that that works. I don't understand why it works, but it does work. But I have to have somebody break it down into these sort of really small micro steps in order to do it. And then when I learn the movement, I can do it. But it just seems like it takes a whole lot of scaffolding to get me there. And I think that's one of the reasons that I've never tried to go to a yoga class because I'm afraid there's no way I'm going to be able to keep up with that kind of instruction. Like I'm just going to stand there and look around and be like, what are these people doing? I cannot just follow a routine like that. But hearing you kind of explain it that way makes me wonder with the right teacher, if that might actually work. Yeah, I mean, I totally believe that with the right teacher, you're going to find somebody who is sensitive to that. When I, I often have us do hand over heart and hand over belly breathing. So your left hand is on your heart, and your right hand is on your belly. And it's not rare for it to take people a good 30 seconds of looking around and then figuring it out before they figure out how to put their hand on their heart. Mm-hmm. So it's not rare at all that that's a confusing idea because it's not a movement we do. You know, it's not the Pledge of Allegiance. Right. It's this whole opposite weird thing that we don't understand. And it's not rare. But I will say, I think that your fear of coming into a yoga class and having somebody say, you know, auto mukha svanasana, turn your toes in, knit the ribs together, and you're thinking, my ribs are not to be knit. What are you talking about? My arm isn't straightened. It's pretty valid. That's, um, you know, that's yoga culture right now can be just like that. And I think that there is an upswing of teachers who care more Mm -hmm. and who care maybe less about performative yoga or Instagram yoga and calling around or searching um, on Instagram and Yelp and reading some reviews you can absolutely find a yoga class where the movements will make sense for your body and the teacher will take the time to help you find those movements in your body as opposed to just saying them out loud. No, I love that. See, it it adds to my theory that good pedagogy is part of every single aspect of life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It makes me very happy. Uh, What I've been doing for exploring is is very small um, because I've learned not to set really, really big goals in this area for myself or else I'd have to come on the podcast and say, I got nothing. So I've been using an app to track my steps every day. And normally that would not work for me. I resist the hell out of daily habits and apps, but this one runs without me having to turn it on. It's just on my phone. So if my phone is on my person, which it always is, then my steps get counted and I don't have to remember to open the damn thing or to log anything or nothing. It just does it for me. And then I can flip through the week 
and see the numbers. And so like increasing that goal for myself and seeing the numbers go up has actually motivated me in ways I didn't think it would. As long as I'm walking outside. Like I think there's something about the nature part of it, being out in the fresh air, being out in different times of day and different light. This shit does not work on a treadmill. (laughs) That does not make Mm -hmm. me happy. (laughs) But walking outside does. And so that's kind of a new positive change. Um, And then I've really been trying to notice and be more aware and appreciative of some of the improvements in my arm because I have gained strength. Like it doesn't look better. It is always going to look crooked. I kind of have a Barbie doll right arm where it's just bent a little at the elbow (laughs) and there's nothing that can be done about it nothing and for the first few years I was afraid to do anything I mean the second time the bone rebroke was from lifting a gallon of milk oh Mm. god yeah and so for a while I was just terrified to do anything with it at all which actually was funny it made my left arm a whole lot stronger because I started doing everything as a lefty yeah that compensation But now, like, I just moved into a new apartment, and I've been moving boxes. I've been moving furniture. We rearranged three bookcases last night, and I don't have that fear anymore. Like, I've learned to trust the strength that I have in that arm. I've learned to trust the titanium that's in my elbow, and I don't worry about it breaking again. And so it feels really good to be like, okay, I'm ready to try this. I'm not ready to try a push-up on the ground, but I have been doing push-ups against the wall. And for the... That's what you should be doing. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, excellent. Yeah. That's smart. <laughs> That's good to I know. think there's fear of modifying. There's this idea that if I can't do, you know, the fullest expression of the hardest thing that I've ever seen, that I there's no point in doing it. But half the classes I teach, I, I also teach bar and fitness classes and I'd say half the students, I say, take this to the wall for a mountain climber, for a push up, for a shoulder tap, for everything, because you're going to build the same muscle strength. You're going to use all the same muscle groups, but you're not going to terrify yourself and compromise your body. That's smart. That's brilliant. That makes me Way feel super better. <laughs> good. You so, did feel good. Yeah. Also, those are still really hard. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, they are. It's really fun, though, if you stand next to me when I'm doing it, because you can hear scar tissue popping. And it freaks Whoa. people out. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So it not every time, but when you can hear it sometimes in there and it's kind of hilarious. But I just bodies are so cool. <laughs> and I don't I don't have that like Noelle's ability to visualize and describe, you know, parts of the body or movement just amazes me. Someone who can say breathe through your belly button and A know what it means and B actually do it. I, it flabbergasts me. I have no idea how that works, <laughs> but I'd like to learn. Well, the crash course is take a deep breath while you think about your belly button. So it's not breathing into it in any kind of, you know, um, real regimented sense, but you can even just stick your finger in your belly button, take a deep breath and think about it. And you'll expand a little bit more there than maybe you would have if you thought about your lungs. So what do you think about your belly button though? Like, do you just think this is my belly button? I, mean, I think it's pretty great. <laughs> Yeah, it is. <laughs> I think about my belly button growing bigger as I inhale and pulling back like there's a string attached to the back of it, mm-hmm. pulling back towards my spine as I exhale. Oh, I like that. All right. I'm going to steal that and try it on him. 
So once you've stacked your bones, think about breathing through your belly button. Whole new world. Man, I'm learning so much today. I'm going to stack my bones. I'm going to breathe through my belly button. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. So that segues us into analysis, which I have to say is my favorite part of this show. Yay. <laughs> I love why do I love this thing or why do I you know where do I bounce off of this thing I mean why do I love movement I could probably spend an hour talking about just this but right now if I really boil it down right now I'm just so grateful not to be in pain all the time when I think about that and really let myself remember how it felt to be in pain all the time it feels like a miracle that I can even get out of bed in the morning let alone dance and do yoga and hike and roughhouse with my kids. I mean, it used to be that I couldn't easily load or unload the dishwasher. And that was just because it was just excruciatingly painful. I just couldn't get my body to move in a way that it could do that and not hurt. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time when I was growing up, trying to run away from my body, essentially, which you really can't do. I mean, you can a little bit, but your body is the only way that you have of experiencing the world, unless you've mastered astral projection, in which case, at me on Twitter and tell me all about it. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> but moving and being conscious of how I'm moving puts me in my body in a way that feels really powerful and it really connects me to myself. And I love that when I'm really focused on my body and movement and my body in movement, I can't ruminate. I can't dance and be in my anxiety at the same time. Like I can't really do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, if I'm if I'm feeling if I'm feeling the the spinning mind thoughts, I'm not really dancing. And I mean, and yoga is similar. Like if I'm, if I'm paying attention to what my mind is thinking, <laughs> I can't, I can't really, it's not, and it's not as, it's not like, oh, it's not yoga if you're thinking. It's more like I can't let my body do everything that it is capable of doing in that movement if I'm getting caught up in my thought process. I don't know if that makes sense at all. <laughs> but, but I love I love that movement is a way to reconnect me to myself and connect me to something that is not my anxiety or not my depression or not my worry. Mm -hmm. No, that makes total sense to me. And I mean, on a show called Orgasm, I feel like I can add this observation in. I think the only time that that is true for me in terms of movement and absolutely being able to turn off the brain and be in that moment is with sex. Because the rest of the time, it feels like I've been locked in a battle with my body my whole life because it just doesn't do what my brain tells it to do. And turning my brain off so I can just be in my body is almost impossible. But an orgasm is an incredible cure for that. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's that. Well, we're going to have to do an orgasm about sex because 
I don't have that experience at all. Yeah, a lot of people don't. Yeah, I can't. I don't. I'm not sure I have ever been in my body mm-hmm. during sex. Mm-hmm. It's all cerebral for me, and that is something I would like to work on. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, and I don't even mean that to be like my impish self. Like I'm really serious because I think it's the exact opposite, where that is the only time that I have that kind of physical connection, and and I would like that not to necessarily be the case. Like it would be great to tap in through yoga and other things too, (laughs) Um, or just walking. But, and I think part of it for like wanting to learn new forms of movement or, you know, try to learn yoga or try to learn Tai Chi or any, or just hell, I would be happy walking for a few miles without tripping. That would be awesome. Is, (laughs) is this battle that I always have for competence and confidence I hate being bad at something. It pisses me off. And I, <laughs> if I decide to learn something, God damn it, I expect to reach a state of competency. And this is an area where it feels so freaking hard to do that. So I just get frustrated. But I have been paying more attention to movement and trying to be more loving to my body, even though I am very much in fake it till you make it mode right now um Mm -hmm. and like managing pain it is less than it used to be it's still there um it's always going to be there to some extent with my arm but it's better than it was and i would like to make it even less so i think part of it is just also giving this body a break like she has been through hell and and being a little nice to her or just appreciative of the fact that hey you know what your body is far from perfect and there's parts of it that are broken but it moves you through the world every day and I'd like to focus on that more yeah I I think that that really ties into the analysis piece that um or maybe the orgasm light bulb moment that I would kind of lean into which is realizing that my movement is good period Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to reach competency it doesn't need to mean a handstand it doesn't mean you know, this perfect push up, but that my movement is good because it's moving and it's me and it's my body mm-hmm. and that's good on its own. I, what I love about movement, especially is that, um, it feels like moving meditation, meditative state is really hard for me to get to still. <laughs> it takes so much effort and it's a practice that I focus on a lot because I, I think it has massive, important, uh, far reaching benefits. But I find it much more easily in dance, in yoga, in running, because my body, like Noelle was saying, I can't think about anything. I can't focus on anything other than my movement. Mm -hmm. And that feels so much calmer. And I think also, as far as how it relates to my self-perception, I've been going through this kind of interesting time where I've been really busy. My schedule has been packed kind of to the hour. And I see in this near future, a couple of different commitments are lifting and I'm going to have this time. And I've been trying to think about what am I going to do with that time? And the thing that has slipped for me a lot during this season has been my own home yoga practice and my own movement outside of teaching, outside of work, outside of any sort of um, expectations or commitment. I I love doing those things on my own for myself. And that's not been present. And I've been really beating myself up over it, that I'm not exercising enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not moving enough. I'm not building enough muscle or X, Y, and Z. 
and realizing that my movement is good because it's enough and it doesn't have to meet a bunch of qualifiers has given me the freedom to not fill those spaces up in my you know soon coming space in my calendar not fill those up now with a new workout class every week or attending something that will make me feel like I can check the box for yeah. the week and instead relating it back to my self perception of already being enough already being good enough already moving enough um, because I'm aware of that pleasurable movement in my everyday life. So as someone who follows you on Instagram, uh, I think you're amazing. <laughs> Plus your pictures are gorgeous. And oh, I think you. there is a real joy that comes, it sort of radiates from you. I love seeing what you post. Like a lot of the times when people are posting different things about movement, it tends to make me feel bad because it, it either mm -hmm. puts me in, I should be doing that mindset, or I can't do that mindset. But it genuinely mm -hmm. looks like something you enjoy, like that, the pleasure side of it comes through in what you share. And you were one of the first yoga people that I followed, um, mostly because Noelle kept telling me to. But I genuinely <laughs> loved, <laughs> like genuinely loved your content. And I think that it's a wonderful way to approach it and to share it. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And I'm going to be quoting you a lot because my movement is good is now a quote that I am stealing. So I will mm -hmm. steal it with citation, but I'm stealing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. I think I it's love so it. Important. All right. Am I moving us along? Yes, baby. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. 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 So. Autumn, what you said fits so well with what I have for synthesis, which is that I do want to move more because my body feels good when I move more. And I really want to embrace myself as a body, which sounds like kind of a funny thing to say, but I've always felt like there's a lot of pressure on me to be more than a body which I think mm -hmm. is what contributed to my wanting to really separate from my body for a long time. But my body is the thing that enables me to experience life. I mean, literally every experience I have had, I have been able to have because I have a body. And I want to honor that. I want to do more things that feel good to my body because I am able to do those things. And finding ways to incorporate more pleasurable movement into my life so I can continue to explore pleasurable movement throughout my life. Yeah. It's something I just I really, really want to cultivate because I think I love I love this this concept that what I'm doing is enough, what I'm do what I am able to do is enough. And starting there as a kind of jumping off point for more growth and discovery, as opposed to I should be doing X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's that idea of having an internal motivator, right? Like you are internally motivated because it feels good. I want more of it as opposed to an external motivation of this doesn't feel good, but I want more of the results mm -hmm. of it. Yes, absolutely. I think I'm in a similar spot synthesis wise of, I want to just keep doing what feels good. And I want to allow myself to make mistakes as I figure that out. And that that might mean that I try something and I'm bad at it or it doesn't feel good and that I can quit. 
and giving myself the freedom to quit movement practices that don't feel good. And that's something that is really hard for me. I think once I commit to some sort of practice, and especially when a lot of people in social media or my friend group or whatever it is are telling me that this thing feels so good for them, and I try it and I don't like it, I want to give myself the permission to quit that and believe that I have lots of opportunities for Mm -hmm. movement and this is not just the only one. So I'm kind of coming into this season of space and I want to give myself the opportunity to try some weird new things, maybe get back into rock climbing, uh, which is a really big, oh, just terrifying thing that I have found enjoyment (laughs) in in the past. Um, But it's like walks this weird adrenaline endorphin line the whole time. Um, but I miss it and I miss those feelings. So I kind of want to try it again, but I want to give myself room to realize that I maybe I don't want to do it and that's okay <laughs> mm-hmm. too. And so I think that's kind of where I'm at is wanting to make more room for movement and for my body to maybe change and look different or look bigger or stronger and be cool with that and not um, put a lot of value judgment on it as I walk through new movement practices. And then the other thing that comes to me with synthesis is how I share about movement. I want to be really cognizant. And that's kind of what we were just talking about of how you share about it is really important. I want to be extra cognizant coming into this like holiday season that embracing a new movement practice doesn't have to do with Christmas parties Mm -hmm. and like vocally cutting the ties to winter weight Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's just bullshit. Yeah. And it's so gross. And that's not why I want to be walking. And that's not why I want to be climbing. I want to do those things because they just feel so good when I figure them out. So I think that's kind of where I shake out with my synthesis is more, more, and quit if I hate it. Well, that's really opening the door to experimentation and exploration and shutting the door on expectation. And I love that. Yes. Um, For me, I want to move more and find pleasure in that movement and appreciate my body as the vehicle for my life and stop being so sad about how it looks and appreciate the things that it can do and then take better care of it so it can do more things. Yes. And I had this crazy idea yesterday as we're here getting close to winter in Missouri. I'm sure we'd like to find a place to swim. But I think I'm going to look into that because indoor pools are a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Check out your YMCAs. Yeah, that's a good idea. They almost always have indoor pools and they're always the least expensive option. Okay. Very good to know. I will look at that. Awesome. Well, that brings us to our favorite part. Kelly, what's your favorite part of movement? So unless kissing counts as movement, I would say it's probably dancing. Um, But my version of that is boogieing in the kitchen or just dancing around the house because all it is is moving to music and trying to be in the moment with the rhythm and the lyrics without giving a holy damn about how I look doing it. And I went to my first sci-fi con a couple of weeks ago and actually got out on the dance floor with a bunch of strangers, most of whom were in costumes. And I had a blast. So once I got past the feeling silly, which, by the way, a total stranger making me a drink called the TARDIS, which was bright blue and incredibly strong, um, really released those inhibitions very quickly. And (laughs) (laughs) so 
<laughs> I might have to half credit me getting my ass out on the dance floor to the TARDIS, but it was totally worth it, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and, and nobody was watching me. Nobody cared. It was just fun being under the lights and in the music and moving around with other people and bumping hips with some guy in a cape. I mean, it was great. So <laughs> I think that when I can just let go of the how does this look? Or am I doing this right? Like if music is on, my natural inclination is to move with it. And if I can just do mm-hmm. more of that, that, that's my favorite part right now. What about you, Noelle? What is your favorite part? Oh, you you know what I'm going to say. Dancing. Mm -hmm. Dancing is my favorite part. I love dancing. And I especially love it when I can feel myself getting stronger or when I can feel something getting easier or feeling more natural for me. Um, That moment when I realize I couldn't do that before or I remember when that was impossible. It just delights me to no end. I love it. I would take a dance class every single day if I could. I love that. What about you, Autumn? What's your favorite part? I think my favorite part is wiggly, dancey stretching. (laughs) (laughs) If you can imagine that. That's my like morning routine is inappropriate loud music and really borderline stretchy dancey movements. I love that. And I love <laughs> it. it feels so good. Nothing will more quickly connect you to your hips and moving from your belly button like a dancey stretching. <laughs> so one thing we look for is a spontaneous orgasm. They don't always happen, but I had one mm-hmm. this week that is actually connected to something my ballet teacher says often. And it surprises and delights me every single time he says it. He says something to the effect of only you know what it feels like in your body. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about shifting our balance or where how high up your arms come or where your hands maybe overlap or where your toe is in relation to your kneecap, things like that, that a teacher can tell you, well, this is this is the combination or this is the movement and this is the shape that you're trying to create. But nobody can tell me exactly how to shift my weight so that I balance mm-hmm. in that position. I have to figure that out. Yeah. Well, I didn't have one before we recorded. Although I did try to frame this in a new way. Instead of saying no, I said not yet. And then I think that's hilarious because I had one when Autumn was talking because my (laughs) movement is good is now my favorite thing. (laughs) Well, I think for me, I had one this week when I was working on an arm balance in yoga that I've been working on for a long time. And every time I've done it, I have just chin planted. My chin just hits the ground. I'm trying to balance with one leg out and it's it's a whole fulcrum situation that's not working for my body right now. And my chin would just bang onto the ground and I actually have like a big oh, no. on my oh. chin from it happening and bruises on the back of my arms. However, I had a moment where it made sense and the balance happened and I was clawing through my fingertips and it I got it. And it's so interesting because it's a movement my dad has always done. My dad was a gymnast um, when he was young. And he would explain to me that none of this had anything to do with strength. It had everything to do with physics. And if you lean your body this way and you know what to do, it'll, it'll work. 
And I just didn't believe him. Like for the <laughs> longest time, I'm like, that's crap. No, because I'm, I'm, I should be able to do this and I can't. And if you're explaining the way to do it and I still can't, then that proves you very wrong. <laughs> and then he, having not done gymnastics in 40 years and in his, you know, early seventies would pop down on the ground and balance on his hands. And it's just ludicrous to me. And then I felt it and it had nothing to do with arm strength and it had nothing to do with anything except the physics of the movement that I found that balance point where I was even on either end and it felt so good. And it made me realize how much it is just the practice. It isn't strength. It isn't doing it right. It's the practice. It's feeling that feeling in your body, just like Noelle said, that nobody else knows what it feels like in your body. And that's what he was trying to convey to me, that when you feel it in your body, it's there. And there it was. And it was so good. It was great. I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. If you felt it once, yeah, yeah you know back. it's possible. I know what to look right. for Oh, that's great. <laughs> well, since our brains are part of our bodies... And our personalities drive our habits and routines of movement. We want to do a deep dive into understanding that a bit more. So transitioning from this episode to the next, our next topic will be psyche. And we'll discuss a book that Noelle and I have been reading called The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin, along with a range of personality assessments, some of which I'm going to deconstruct into little bitty tiny pieces because the methodology is flawed. (laughs) (laughs) But really, it's not to question the science of personality assessments, just to gain a bigger understanding of ourselves as personality types. And I think that thinking about habits and approach and perspectives also with the lens of movement for me is going to add to that. So it should be a very interesting discussion next time. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Mm hmm. Autumn, thank you so much for joining us. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. You were so wonderful. This was so much fun. I'm so honored to be here. I'm an avid listener and obsessed. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Well, please let everybody know where they can find you online if they haven't found you already. Yes, you can find me most commonly on Instagram at a whole story, A-W-H-O-L-E-S-T-O-R-Y. I always respond to my messages there and I love to talk to people um, via Instagram. I also have my email listed on there as well as a blog, which I update relatively often with the same kind of myriad of topics and that's a whole story.com and you can find me under the same name on Facebook. And on your brand new podcast, podcast. which is fantastic. It's so good. It's a baby podcast. Um, All feedback, very welcome. I take criticism very well. And I'm sharing about mostly food and movement and relationships, love, sex, kind of the gamut of those uh, deep topics that all of us are thinking about pretty often. And I post once a week on Thursdays. And yeah, you can find me a whole story podcast, or if you just search Autumn Meyer podcast, and I'm on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. Yes, and it's highly, highly recommended. I have enjoyed it so much. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Thank Thank you you for being being here. here. (laughs) And to connect with us on Twitter and Instagram, you can follow me at Noelle Allowed and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag orgasm. 
You can also go a little deeper by visiting the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum, and join in the discussion there. Like all Chipperish Media Podcasts, Orgasm is 100% patron-supported. Just a dollar a month or more gets you access to the live chat and Discord, where you can hang out with me and Noelle and all the Chipperish patrons. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's a great way to support the show and help other people find us or post about your orgasmic experience on your favorite social media platforms. Explosive inspiration is best when shared with friends. We will be back next time to talk about Psyche. Until then, we'll leave you with the words of Martha Graham, pioneer of modern dance. Movement never lies. It is a barometer telling the state of the soul's weather to all who can read it.